0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today.
1: When you have early knockout games, there's a loss of agency there. And there's potentially problems that can arise from that social problems or in in-game problems. So like somebody gets salty because they got knocked out by a particular player and because they didn't want it to happen, they think that the other player was picking on them. Uh, For instance, as a social example or like for an in-game mechanics example, it actually might make a whole lot of strategic sense for three players to gang up on a fourth player because they're about to win and the as a consequence that fourth player gets knocked out of the game completely and then they just sit there watching
0: my name is jeremy gage and welcome to the draw your dice podcast this is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry listen alongside me as we hear from creators entrepreneurs and supporters about their personal best practices principles and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. My name is Jeremy Gage, as you heard in the intro, but today is not about me, as always. Not one episode is about me. Actually, there's one episode that's about me. You don't have to worry about that. I'm really excited today. I have uh, a really cool veteran designer here for us today with 20 years of game development experience from video games all the way to tabletop RPGs, director, actor, head of Berdandy Studios. That's a key to who it is. I would like to welcome Andy Berdan.
1: (sighs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Just a little bit of a clarification. Sure. Sure. I'm a game designer in the tabletop uh, space. I'm a game programmer in the video game space. Oh, thank thank you for the clarification. Yeah, it's a slight variation. It's, uh, It's an interesting blend of abilities and skills
0: creative all around, though, for sure. Well, in addition to that, Andy, as always to start off the show, would you just give a brief introduction for the people at home who are listening who may not know who you are, along with some of your social media plugs and things like that? Because I can't guarantee that anyone's gonna listen all the way through the 90 minutes of this. And I want to make sure people know who you are.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So I, I've been making video games for some time. Since undergrad in '98 or so, started with actually a digital board game, a Go digital board game, on a tiny palm top, and then progressed all the way into you know, console development and PC development and mobile phone and web, and I, I do AAA game development, multi-platform game development right now, and that's you know the some of the bigger names that I've um, worked on have been uh, like battlefield vietnam is pretty recognizable shrek video game for classic (laughs) xbox is uh, pretty recognizable it's and then right now i work on warframe so that's interesting but we're primarily here as birdandy studios which is my my own sort of label doing indie tabletop stuff role-playing games primarily but i do have a card game which is called Pitchfest, which is interesting it's about video games strangely enough the uh, you can find my tabletop stuff on at uh, a number of different places Uh, probably the easiest place is birdandy.com and then you can launch from there to my itch pages and my personal website and that kind of stuff the uh, i lost my train of thought (laughs) <laughs> no,
0: you're you're super okay. And where can people get in touch with you in terms of social is it uh, Twitter or Instagram or anything like that?
1: Yes, yeah. So, Twitter, I'm primarily on Twitter at Andy Burdan. It's pretty simple. <laughs> the uh, I used to actually funny story. I used to actually be at Twitch on Twitter. I I'm I started on Twitter in the closed beta period. So, I've I'm a veteran on that platform i guess back when you couldn't actually use at in a system way people just tended to they would search for at their username to find things that people said about them just as a way of doing that and then Hmm. twitter decided you know what let's make this part of the system and then they did and anyway i digress but yeah when twitch tv started up my my Twitter account became pretty unusable, so I had to change it. There was lots of people asking me to promote their Twitch channel, and it's like, <laughs> it's not not me. This is the wrong person. So I changed my name and got a lifetime Twitch subscription out of it. But yeah, whatever. <laughs>
0: amazing. That's amazing. And what a hilarious story for that. Well, I welcome the pioneers of of Twitter (laughs) here today. Great. Well, in addition to that, Andy, a little additional icebreaker for the listeners here. I always like to see people sort of game design journey through the lens of like, maybe what was your first, I know you started, did you start in a video game background or a tabletop background?
1: Because I know Uh, you made the digital go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, primarily digital. The made the digital go because I did my thesis project at undergrad on AI for Go. This was back mm-hmm. before it was, you know, something done as a huge machine learning endeavor by like, AI. like the, the big Go, the big Go AI projects after, you know, chess was, quote unquote, solved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> But this was way before that. And the state of the art in open source at that time was GNUGO, which was still a pattern matching system and with rule based stuff. As the AI progressed, they developed mechanisms that the AI sort of played itself and learned from itself so they could more rapidly iterate and do it's called adversarial machine learning so it Ooh. fights itself but that was that was after i had uh, done my thesis project and i just basically made GNU go uh, maybe a little bit better not enough for me to bother contributing to the code base but my small experiments were eh, it was a little bit better. but yeah mostly incidental that it was a board game attached to that project and then i went from there to uh game development company which then got bought by dice which then got bought by ea (laughs) and then they shut down the studio i was at so i went to a different studio and different studio and different studio and just kind of rolled from one company to another and it's a volatile industry That's,
0: that's what i'm hearing
1: i'm working back with friends that i used to work with the first job now so it's interesting how it comes full circle it is a small industry.
0: That's very cool. In, in addition to that, last question: When did you first start dabbling or playing in tabletop RPGs as well?
1: Yes. So I've been well. I first started playing them at age eight. I I, fa- <laughs> I found the D and D red book from the red box set in the library. They didn't have the box or the dice or anything, but they had the book in the library and I thought it was just a fantasy novel. So I'm like, Oh, this looks cool. I started like, what the hell is this? What's going on? And eventually figured out what it was all about. I tried to convince my friends to try it out. And they're like, nah. So it took a little while to get them on board, but eventually we had, we had some fun and no dice. So we didn't know what we were doing. We were like eight, nine. So we were just kind of making shit up all the time. <laughs> and it's, it kind of progressed a little bit from there, and then I dropped it for a little while until kind of the era of White Wolf games. There was mm-hmm. uh, like Vampire the Masquerade, uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse, Mage the Ascension, that kind of stuff, that, that kind of era. I knew some people who played Vampire... I didn't particularly get into it. It was a little too angsty for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I I did fall into Mage quite a bit. Quite enjoyed that one. And the sort of exploration of reality and the creativity of that. And then kind of life took over and role-playing games kind of took a backseat for a bit. And then, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years ago, I started missing it and got back into it. And after a while, I decided one of the games I was playing, which is The Extraordinary Adventures of Baron Munchausen, it's largely a prompt-based game. So you're, it's a competitive, how did he describe it? Competitive, lying, drinking game. So you would sort of boast about your accomplishments as a Baron, a peer of the Baron Munchausen, and the you try and do the person who has boasted previously. So you escalate these boasts higher and higher and higher, usually around a table with a bunch of drinks. This, this game was made by James Wallace. It's one of the original kind of story games. So I didn't really realize it at the time that James had sort of started an entire genre. At the time, I was all about Twitter, so I was like, you know what, I wonder if he's on it. Sure enough, he was. So I pinged him and asked him if I could make a digital version of the game so that I could make it easier for me to play the game because Mm -hmm. you have all these prompts that are in a book, and it's like in an appendix, and there's all these sample prompts. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I just wanted an app that could feed me these prompts, and then I wouldn't have to flip around the pages. I always have my phone with me, so, you know do that he's like yeah sure just give me credit so i did that and i made a digital version of it i've been meaning to release it but then you know ios subscription fees and it's like uh i don't know (laughs) so I, i have it i have it done i have the code i just i don't know i'm sitting on it but james has since released a uh new version of it it's really nice really pretty take a look but the as my my step into becoming a tabletop designer rather mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. just a guy making code for tools around tabletop games was when i was teasing him on twitter about making a variant of the game which was driven by puns so instead of you know telling a tale that is more and more extravagant you'd interrupt the storytelling with a pun based on what was being said and then you would take control of the story which is a blending of his other game once upon a time card based game once upon a time and yeah he basically teased me back in the persona of the Baron threatening me jokingly. So, so I made it and released it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that, that is, that is a game that is available. The idea is you're a bunch of adventurers that have gone on like a dungeon crawl or something. Uh, Now they're back at the tavern and there's a pun telling competition at the tavern for free food and drink and all of the adventurers who have just completed a a quest have to tell tales about their dungeon crawl in the form of puns competitively it's (laughs)
0: competitively
1: (laughs) competitive pun telling with a fantasy theme yeah it's it's interesting and that that's the one that kind of started the whole thing the the big game i have right now is well, it's kind of two big games, that I have. lots of little experimental ones, but the two biggest are uh, Pitchfest, which is a card mm-hmm. game. And that was actually making a game that sort of codifies the fun parts of game development. Hmm. It was like the funnest part of game development is, for me, at the very beginning when you have no consequences <laughs> – and no restrictions and you can just throw ideas at the wall and brainstorm and be absolutely nutty. So that's what this is. <laughs> so you're given a four card prompt for the game that you will that you are pitching to a group of people. Something like Shark Tank or something mm-hmm. uh, something like that. Yeah, panel of judges. And the cards tell you what kind of game you're making as an example a a noir first-person shooter about fuzzy animals might be the prompt so mm-hmm. you have to pitch a noir first-person shooter about fuzzy animals in like 30 seconds to the panel it's uh, so like a real quick pitch just to get the uh, an idea it doesn't need to be complete just needs to be a little bit of a pitch and then and then the panel starts asking you questions. They have to be yes or no questions. And there's 10 of them. And they ask you a yes or no question. And before you answer, you have to draw a card. And it tells you how you are allowed to answer. So, like, it's the answers are all some variation of yes. Mm. This is very much an improv exercise. You have to, like, two of the answers are literally yes. So you you have to add an additional one of the some of them are yes but so you have to sort of twist something that's already been said the we're working on that is another possible answer where it's like yes but in the future or the a clarification question where you ask for clarification so what do you mean by something and then you then it goes back to the original person that it give more stuff and then you have to answer yes. (laughs) So the idea is you have to agree with what the sharks, so to speak, the judges, you have to agree Mm -hmm. with what the judges offer you Mm -hmm. and work with it and build out this idea together. Uh, Sort of adversarially, if you want to play it that way, or you can be collaborative and build off of what people say, or you can like, throw out all sorts of wacky random stuff and make it super zany so it's it's fairly good fun you, you so you answer all these 10 questions and then at the end you decide what you want to name this game. and it's it's uh, it's pretty fun i was pretty sure that i was gonna to have to publish it when the first time i did a play test for it i went over to friend's place It was like an after dinner game kind of night uh, we ended up playing the game over and over until three in the morning. The game <laughs> plays in 10 or 15 minutes. So we just kept on playing it over and over and over again for what's the math there? Seven <laughs> or eight hours. <laughs> mm, wow. So, yeah. So it was like, OK, OK, this I'm going to have to make this a real thing, aren't I? <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty good. So I the there's a video game version. There's a movie version and I'm working on a tabletop edition right now and a unified edition that merges all three so that you can merge them. They all have the same format, the same mm-hmm. card backing so you can literally merge them together. Like, mm. like say the card game flux, you can just mash stuff together and it still works just fine. That's so, awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. It's good fun. The other sort of flagship game that I have, just flagship for for a tiny brand of mine uh, is a mic drop which is storytelling light storytelling rpg that is primarily about fame and the consequences of fame and the difficulties of collaboration i guess you can call it Mm -hmm. that but on the surface if you're feeling familiar with the movie spinal tap it's basically spinal tap the game (laughs) With a bunch of, you know, rock stuff. it's So what I wanted to convey in that game was the feeling of being an actor in the movie Spinal Tap. Mm-hmm. So Spinal Tap was filmed. They had a script. As I understand it, they had a script. But they didn't like the script when it came down to day one of filming. So they mostly threw it out and just improv the whole movie. They had some stuff that was sort of in the backs of their heads from the script that was written, but mm-hmm. they didn't really follow it. That's my understanding. Mm-hmm. So I wanted that real improv sort of feeling, but with some foundations that kind of led you through the narrative. So I built this this thing. The, the So the concept is you are members of a band. Everyone has a different role as a band member and the established past of this band is that you went on an album tour and the album tour ended early for some reason. Nobody knows why, but it was a very public end to the tour. And now as a band, you've gotten together and you're being interviewed about This album tour, why did it end? What went wrong? How did it all fall apart? (laughs) And that's what you do during the game is you get interviewed as to how it all fell apart. How did it all go down? Old tell-all. And it has some interesting mechanics, like confessional booth kind of mechanics where you get like a reality TV kind of like one-on-one with the camera, but you can still have people barging into the confessional booth and offering Mm -hmm. their input and collaborative storytelling in that way it's it's it leads to some good drama as far as the next steps i'm working on a sort of generic framework for it so that it can be leveraged to other kinds of interviews so you Mm -hmm. have like FBI interrogations direct, like, like detective crime stuff all sorts of uh, things that could not necessarily be attached to music in general I guess the, the heist mechanic is, is fun but uh, <laughs> I haven't quite resolved that, that challenge yet um, also considering a card based because the game runs with a GM so mm-hmm. a card based version of the game where a deck of cards essentially acts as the GM Mm -hmm. uh, so that you can play it GM-less effectively.
0: Yeah, I was about to say it has sort of like this GM-less energy to it. And I know for Mic Drop, I find it really fascinating, this one-on-one confessional booth style of narrative storytelling. And I was going to also add that it seems very hackable in terms of the genres that could be displayed with this style of game. I know I've not seen Spinal Tap, unfortunately, but it the game also sort of reminded me, because you mentioned it's like a mockumentar- mockumentary style of game yes. in, like, spirit. Yes. And... I was thinking of like, I love the nineties and all those sorts of shows. It's like, where were they, where are they now? Sort of things. What happened to the band, like those band interview things on those sort of reality television shows. And I, it kind of sent me back to like when MTV was actually TV back in the day and had the music videos and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It feels like anything where you have like at the core of it, all you really need is a a hidden story mm-hmm. that you're uncovering through questioning. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's really the only requirement for this kind of gameplay is that you want to interrogate what's hidden, uncover what's hidden through play. And there's so many things that can fit into that thing. Murder mysteries, mm-hmm. uh, crime... Mm-hmm. Um, fame, obscurity, that's just I was off even, the top of my head
0: <laughs> I was just th- also thinking like of a because you spoke about the barren game variation that you made about the adventurers, I even mm-hmm. think about a version of this game where you have four adventurers sitting around a table and they're telling this climactic battle and maybe they're maybe this is a little bit more mechanical, heavy version of this game, but something where like you're building the battle as you go and you have to like do like I imagine a combination D and D slash mic drop sort of system clash thing, a crossover sort of thing where you're like, yeah, and then the dragon used its fire breath and then you have to play out like that maneuver and everything like that. I find that that would be an interesting delineation of the idea as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that can work very well. There's a, there's a game by Randy Lubin called Behind the Magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that one is sort of similar to that. It's it's a group of fantasy adventurers, maybe maybe magicians, uh, all magicians. I don't exactly recall, but the mm-hmm. idea is that they're they're traveling, they're traveling, and they're they have th- that sort of confessional mechanic that happens in a fantasy environment. It's I haven't looked at it in a while. It's I believe it's progressed in development mm-hmm. since, and I think it's actually been released, but it's. I've seen it on their itch page, but I'm not sure if it's like an early release status or it's complete something to look at, but yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. So I, I was on a show a while back and we talked about making, making games based off of documentaries. And Mm -hmm. we actually had, it was him and I and a documentary filmmaker talking about, sort of the processes of how you make something compelling out of just events that happened. Like How do you build that story thread? Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit more interesting with a game because you can build that story as you build that thread, whereas with a real documentary, you just kind of record stuff, and then you find the thread that, weaves its way through all of these different recordings that have occurred.
0: Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. I actually have Randy on the show next week oh. <laughs> to talk about games, so that I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to ask them about that for sure. Yeah, yeah. In addition, so why why did you want to make, like, what was the idea that sparked mic drop in terms of both its like band thematics. I know you said Spinal Tap, but like what was were you just watching Spinal Tap and it sort of came to you?
1: Originally the the beginning of the the game was playing with the notion of fame. It, mm-hmm. it came out of that. So I initially wanted to make a game that was played entirely on Twitter. So the idea being the interview would be prompts that were given out on Twitter once a day for 30 days, simulating the band tour itself. So like Mm -hmm. this happened on the tour. And how did you deal with it? Like this live tweeting over the course of a month, real time playing the game. And like I went, I I built that out and tested it. And it was, it worked out fairly well. Actually, you you can still see part of it, on Twitter now. If you go to Char Barrel's band on Twitter, now one of the players actually deleted his account. So everything that he answered is gone. Mm-hmm. But all of the other players are there. And you can see their answers. There were the band was a well actually they're they're in they're in I preserved the band in the in the book. I'll read it out mm-hmm. here. The Charles B- Charred Barrels band are locals, all grown up. Their latest album, Bigger Than Jesus, has been hotly anticipated by dozens. The late, their latest tour proves it. Genre is moonshine bluegrass. Tour and album is called Bigger Than Jesus. Previous albums: Whiskey Dixie, Street Signs of Parking Lots. But yeah, it was so we played that out actually on Twitter, and found that it was a challenge to stay engaged over the course of a month. So shifted tracks to make it an around-the-table experience or around-a-video camera experience in these, these days of video gaming, yeah, uh, video-based yeah. tabletop gaming. And But w- there's still the optional social media component to the game. So in between scenes, you have the option of um, going to social media and bitching about your fellow band members and what just happened. So you can sort of subtweet about stuff that's happened and that's, that's a good time. You create some alternate Twitter personas and just kind of yell at each other. And then you have this interesting sort of record of alternate reality fame that happens. Yeah.
0: I, I love, because you included those mechanics into an optional rule for the game. You're able to yes. make a Twitter-sona and kind of journal out to the fans as you as you play this, which is really exciting, Absolutely. and kind of leads me into talking about, especially because you sort of centralize from a video game background, being a programmer. One of the things that me and a friend of mine, Spencer Campbell, are, are exploring this idea of live design, the concept in which we make a tabletop game that is that, that will never go to print. It's something that exists in like accessible e-reader formats and things like that. They maybe have like their own website ecosystem or virtual tabletop ecosystem, maybe on mobile and stuff like that. And so I guess what's interesting to me about Mic Drop is that you sort of design something that uses the zeitgeist of social media to emulate uh, a narrative, which is very cool. It you kind of like did the full version of what me and Spencer think about when we think about these games, we have ideas that are a little bit more like crunchy that require like battle maps and things like the virtual tabletop sort of roll 20 experience or whatever but we're thinking about those principles of games where i mean you have you have 20 years of experience but were there any extreme challenges you found in developing the first version of of this game which was like twitter proposed and then do you find that people don't use the i don't know how many people have played play tested this game for you but do you find that there were any more people that use this Twitter Sona optional rule in your play tests or who you showed in the game to?
1: So the as far as the the games, I, I would say that Mic Drop is Mic Drop is essentially in soft launch. It's mm-hmm. available. I haven't really banged the drum, so to speak. Pun not intended. <laughs> but the so the only games that i've seen played on twitter were games that i was involved in so they only have the twitter component that i i've seen and directed people to do that said the first print copy of it was purchased a couple weeks ago so who knows maybe (laughs) soonish we'll start seeing seeing it Congratulations! So, yeah, from from somebody I didn't even know. <laughs>
0: yeah, Those are the it's best. An, ones. It's a milestone.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, just, like there are, there have been a few people that have gotten the PDF version of it, mm-hmm. but uh, every once in a while I do look at the suggested hashtag, and uh, I haven't looked in a few months. <laughs> Should check again. Who knows?
0: Well, I think it's very cool that you're willing to incorporate today's technologies to and sort of experiences into your design principles. Do you think that's something that you would do for more games in the future? Or do you feel like you live a sort of like separate print and play life versus uh, a video game design life?
1: I think I probably would embrace new technologies as they come out. I I find that the whole trend of people moving to itch as a tabletop platform has been has fit well with me because itch started out in the video game space and it was latched onto a lot by like the Ludum Dare crowd, which is a game jam for indie video game people who just do like competitions and make game jams on the weekend and then uh, upload the versions. And they're really popular on itch in in as far in so much as like itch has specific functionality to tie into specific Ludum Dare tagged events. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you can you can see that kind of stuff. A friend of mine runs Ludum Dare. I used to work with him at uh, an, a couple of different companies, but then he went out on, on his own. But yeah, he's he's been at it for a while. The, the sort of extra functionalities that Lud- Ludum Dare has, or Itch has developed in response to Ludum Dare, have felt more in line with what I want my tabletop stuff to do. And so, like, the pay what you want models different tiered pricing model the ability to build a sort of crowdfunding option into itch so that you can you can actually put a product saying okay I'll give you a minimal version of this but I have to pay people to get art and mm-hmm. layout and fonts and that kind of stuff and I can't afford that on spec so i'll put up a minimal version and as people buy into it mm-hmm. i will give free updates to anyone who has bought already so mm-hmm. as i earn enough to be able to afford artwork they get, get a new version with artwork. as i get enough money to be able to pay for layout then there's a new version with layout And like things just get better and better and everybody's happier and happier. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. Hopefully that's, that's the theory. But uh, it's, so I started doing something like that a while back with one of my earlier games, conspiracy theory. So it, it started out as, as most of my ideas do as a joke on Twitter. Uh, (laughs) And then it just kind of grew a life of its own. Roughly speaking, this is a game played on a, corkboard or a whiteboard and you as you play the game you end up building this giant conspiracy (laughs) web with like push pins and yarn if you so choose or you can just draw with on a whiteboard that that Mm -hmm. works too but you you build out this map of interrelationships and consequences that sort of build out this conspiracy and that one was the sort of first one that I did with the model was like I collaborated with another designer friend and I wanted to give them something for the collaboration work. So I put that as part of the stretch goals and then ended up she ended up telling me after the fact that, you know what, I like this and take that money and donate it to the trevor project so that's what we Mm -hmm. did it's like all the proceeds from the the goal to conspiracy theory went to the trevor project which was cool
0: that's that's very cool especially because recently in a lot of my Interviews. Uh, we've been talking about this concept called itch funding, which is you, you call it something different on, on your website. You call it open pre-ordering.
1: Yeah. And
0: we talked a little bit off air about how you sort of started that model when itch was kind of in its beginnings on community copies and things of that like,
1: yeah, they were just starting to get involved in tabletop or rather the tabletop community had just started being interested in itch. This Mm -hmm. was, before leaf had really even noticed that there was a flood of tabletop people coming to itch uh, a few weeks later leaf was like what the hell is going on how can i support you guys because you're doing a lot here yeah well that's good that's good to know that leaf is is
0: paying attention though sort of, i mean that's cool we've we on this side of like in the brain trust discord and for the long time listeners to kind of understand that stuff, we have been talking about this concept called degreening, which is also kind of coined within the, the brain trust podcast with Will Yopes and Adam Vass. And just this concept of trying to get away from larger crowdfunding models that sort of control the product pipelines of certain in the tabletop sphere specifically, so like Kickstarter, Patreon, all that stuff, and how we have to be sort of subservient to their wants. And we're trying to find models that allow the creator to be in a little bit more control of how they manage stretch goals, additional benefits, expansions, supplements, all these other things, creating games wholesale, mm-hmm. presenting. Uh, minimum viable pro- uh, minimum viable products or ash cans of ideas, putting them out there as sort of like a free resource and saying, "Hey, if you want the additional optional rules, when I reach I don't know four k in sales, I will I will put that out. And then if you want an artistic version, that'll be at like the six k mark or whatever. And sort of instead of the Kickstarter way where you have two to four weeks or whatever to make that money, it sort of elongates the process, allows you to extend the marketing campaign and kind of control the flow of how much you want to be involved in that said crowdfunding initiative for that particular game. And so I like that you sort of also have this idea inside of a separate sphere to try that, model did you find i know we talked a little bit about how you had some mixed success with it but is it something that you're looking to do again like going forward with your games or do you rely mostly on like website sales
1: yeah i think it is something that i would like to do again i found it was difficult to bring people to itch if they Mm -hmm. weren't already on itch the for me the the open pre-order model was an attempt to sort of de-stress the concept of crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like it seemed like a very stressful experience. And I've <laughs> I've done I did one with my wife for a journaling game with the last zine quest called mm-hmm. Journey Back. And that was like it it's a zine. So It wasn't a ton of work, but it Mm -hmm. was plenty of stress. (laughs) And like for people to do it as a income required seems like a lot. Like I do my game development as sort of, it's not exactly the best wording, but I kind of call it a self funding hobby. Mm -hmm. So Like I I have my day job, I do my day job. That keeps the roof over my head and Mm -hmm. keeps me fed and happy. And the tabletop game development pays for my tools for tabletop game development Mm -hmm. and and allows me to flex creatively in a way that my day day job doesn't. That's my personal motivation. As such, I don't need I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't accommodate extra stress from that kind of activity. And I get that some people can, and some people need to. And that's great. I just personally wasn't able to. And the I find that the itch funding, or open pre-order, or what have you, it was a very, let's say, consumer-oriented way. Of looking at it, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, one of the things that I really like about it is that I could have all sorts of wacky ideas, Mm -hmm. make a prototype and throw it up on the site. And if it resonates with someone, I get direct feedback as to what resonates Mm -hmm. and then I make that thing. Whereas with Kickstarter, you... Spend, I don't know, three to six months preparing for a Kickstarter, launch a mm-hmm. Kickstarter, and then, oh look, nobody wants it, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and that's
1: that's disheartening, yeah,
0: <laughs> to say yeah. the least.
1: And but this way, it's it feels like a much more approachable way of finding out what the community, what well, the market honestly what the market wants mm-hmm. you see it in your download number you see it in your your sales number even it's if it's just a product that's pay what you want you see it in your stats it's like oh this is popular this is where i will put my energy mm-hmm. like for instance i talked about my pitch fast game this was just like a wacky idea that i decided to play at lunches with the guys at work at my video game job and it got to be just so popular it's like okay well i guess i need to put more effort into this and make it a thing and then it, it became more and more popular and it's like okay well i demoed this at a local convention and it was weird like i had some friends it was like okay Where's that card game that you have? Let's just start playing it right here on this empty table. I didn't even have a booth at this convention. There was just an empty table. I was I was judging, I was judging games that were submitted to a competition. And that, that competition had finished. And a friend of mine like, okay, the game you brought, let's, let's see it. Let's play it. In like 15 minutes, I had a crowd of 30 people crowded around the game just kind of listening to what was going on uh That's and awesome. occasionally jumping in it's like okay well this is this needs to be a thing i had no idea honestly so like i think a lot of people are per- pretty bad at sort of guessing at what the public is going to want mm-hmm. like there are entire industries devoted to guessing what the public is going to want uh, that is not my profession yeah <laughs> Yeah. So I just, I make prototypes and mm. I let them tell me what they want. Mm. Uh, and with the open pre-order thing, then that's a way for me to get that data pretty easily. The problem is I have to get them to the area that has the open pre-orders. And that's the yeah. challenge. You know, you, have to, <laughs> you have to find that audience first to find the subset of the audience that can be interested by a particular game so Mm -hmm. that's the challenge
0: that's good that's good insight especially when you talk about how you let the interest dictate like you put up any idea you can into a space and then or one one i one way conceptually is to put any idea that you have into a space and then see what sort of bait bites you know what i mean like it's you throw it into the lake of interest and then whatever the fish are biting on that day you're going to use that bait again so you might as well like work on it and i think that's also in combination with your own want to work on that game and but i think that's a really cool idea to because one of the sayings I, i have on the show often is that knowledge is only useful if it's applied And so without that data, without that interest, it's hard to know, like, where one should direct their energy. And uh, you can't get that direction if you keep all of your ideas inside of a Google folder that don't see the light of day, that only see your eyes, right?
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. To that effect, I, I built some tools a while back that allowed me to sort of write a markdown document Mm -hmm. and then build that and export that into both PDF and EPUB formats and then upload it directly to itch as a project It I haven't quite finalized it but it's it's like lowering the barriers between my brain and the public Mm -hmm. is is an interesting thing it's like I can just get stuff out there and have people try it mm-hmm. whether or not people like it or not that's on them to mm-hmm. let me know by mm-hmm. you know downloading things and trying things and and using the rating system on edge which is so underused but mm-hmm. yeah
0: i think yeah. that in addition to that it's also like even if they don't play the idea even talking about it like someone just shooting up a comment or a discussion board or responding to a devlog or something like that can also be a great way to engage yeah. with criticisms feedback and get maybe even new fuel for the fire someone could point out something where like hey this game sort of reminds me of x media and you're like huh I didn't I've never thought about that. Let me check that out and see if that see if that tracks, right? And gives gives you fresh, as I always say, fruit to make juice with.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The the tabletop development community or industry i I guess, is one similar to I guess the music industry. It's one of heavy remixing. Like, mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of evolutionary design that happens rather than revolutionary design. That's not to say that revolutionary design doesn't happen. It's mm-hmm. so like, as like, even in video game development space, like, more often you will see.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: evolutionary games come out. They're just refined or a better version of something, or they take one thing and just go a step or two further than was previously done. Mm-hmm. And then it's different enough to be uh, a new product. Like e- even for uh, back back in one of my old games, Jobs like battlefield vietnam the battlefield vietnam game was originally supposed to be a battlefield 1942 expansion pack Hmm. like in early early concepts they thought "Eh, it's probably going to be an expansion pack but it was interesting enough and different enough that they decided to release it as a standalone product Mm -hmm. so it was a case case of evolutionary development that just evolved a little bit further than they expected because, as developers, we had a lot of fun making it, <laughs> uh, and we put a lot uh, a lot into it. So it it just got more and more support internally, and became a bigger and bigger product. And that, I guess, that is kind of what what this model does for me in tabletop is that you know you can you can evolve an idea in concert with the people who have bought into the idea and with their help that's kind of it's crowdfunding but open and live and with the people playing it the part of the challenge is that you want to be able to take take feedback from the people playing it. But generally speaking, players are really good at pointing out problems. Mm -hmm. And and great at offering feedback to that. Some people will offer potential solutions to those Mm -hmm. problems. They don't usually consider the bigger picture with Mm -hmm. those solutions so your internal editor has to definitely come into play when getting the feedback absolutely listen to everything all of the problems they're going to be real problems for that individual Mm -hmm. the solution if one is proposed may cause other problems so it may even be a solution that you've thought about yourself in the past for instance but it's almost guaranteed that the player hasn't considered all of the things that a designer has also considered in making the maybe not i guess it depends on the idea yeah but always listen always listen to problems always listen to the questions not always the answers i guess Mm.
0: section of the show is sort of a trend section so what i ask of you andy is that what trends now usually this is i usually have tabletop guests but i guess this can also be video game industry level stuff as well but what trends are you seeing that are really cool like upcoming things that are happening in your social circles or inside of articles or something that keeps blipping on your radar. It's like, oh, that's really cool. I wish more people would explore that. Or is there a trend out there that you feel is being detractful from the scene that you want to caution people against? Or is there a trend within you that you would like to speak into the ethers that people who listen to this can take that idea and run with it?
1: Yeah, that's that's super interesting. So I, I don't in in my video game day job, I don't typically do much trend following. Like mm-hmm. I've got, I've got stuff to work on, and I work on it. It's <laughs> like I listen to the designers; they tell me what to do. So, in terms of video games, for what I play, I've been enjoying sort of the. I guess there's more been more of a trend of cooperative play lately mm-hmm. or e- even um, there's been a few games that among us comes to mind cooperative but trader trader mechanics which can mm-hmm. be interesting but uh, cooperative play cooperative remote play has been a big thing for me because it, it it's nice in that you can have various players with differing skill skill levels playing the same game and mm-hmm. not feeling like they're not contributing mm-hmm. with with a little bit of careful game design. So you want to be able to like for instance, if I a few years back when, when my child was younger, competitive games were out. They they mm-hmm. just it would either be boring for me or boring for them. But mm-hmm. competitive games are always good because you know, we we could Do a side-scrolling competitive beat-em-up or something, and uh, everybody gets something to do at all times. And it's everybody's engaged, everybody gets to do something. Whereas, you know, the old-style competitive where you have, you know, games with knockout mechanics where, you know, you have five players in a game, And the first 15 minutes of the game, one person gets knocked out and they sit there Mm. and watch everybody else. That kind of, that kind of trend is thankfully gone. I quite a bit like the model of either everybody wins or everybody loses. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, like, everybody but one loses in the case of a competitive game. Mm-hmm. Like, they all lose simultaneously. And that boils down to, I guess, taking away agency from an individual player. When you have early knockout games, there's a loss of agency there. And there's potentially problems that can arise from that social problems or even in-game problems so like somebody gets salty because they got knocked out by a particular player and because they didn't want it to happen they think that the other player was picking on them for instance as a social example or like for an in-game mechanics example it actually might make a whole lot of strategic sense for three players to gang up on a fourth player Mm -hmm. because they're about to win and as a consequence, that fourth player gets knocked out of the game completely. and then they just sit there watching. and that that's a that is a shitty feeling. <laughs> yeah um, yeah,
0: I've played a couple of quite a few like social deduction games and like competitive games where uh, sometimes I am that person. And it feels like you know, depending on the group, it feels fine, but in other groups, it feels like it's a punishment. It feels like you know, you weren't good enough at the game. So you have to sit out. Like that's that's the yeah. re, that's the reward cycle that you're experiencing as the loser in some of those facets, right? And that is that does not feel good when it's often when you like yes. the game, but you just like I don't know. There's just something that's disconnecting you from be, the mastery of the game in question, right? And I don't know that could be that could be frustrating. So I love this idea of because I've I've recently been playing games that have sort of these built in while you are eliminated, you can still do this thing. Like there's a social deduction game that I've really grown fond of called Blood Under the Clock Tower. It's a tabletop game. And in most games, when you're voted out in social deductions, like Werewolf or what is that online one? Town of Salem. You're like just kind of watching at that point, watching it all unfold before you but in blood under the clock tower even when you're knocked out you can still discuss the whole time and you also get one last vote as a ghost as as the game progresses you have this final sort of power you can use at your leisure and i think that's i think that keeps a player engaged in those moments versus games yeah. where like you're voted out you can't play wait 20 minutes or whatever it is
1: yeah absolutely yeah. Having, having, I guess, like post-elimination mechanics or comeback mechanics, recovery mm-hmm. mechanics, mm-hmm. like Mar- the Mario Kart blue shell is kind of a famous example. It's like yeah. you're in last place, so you get the better goodies
0: that mm-hmm. you
1: know, get you a chance to come back. But they're still somewhat avoidable by mm-hmm. the person in the lead, so it's not guaranteed um, yeah. that you're going to be able to come back, but... It's a a balancing effect. Sometimes I feel like the blue shell example goes maybe a little too far, maybe a little too powerful, but Mm -hmm. uh, it it is what the game is. There's a risk there that if the game has too many balancing mechanics that the game can drag on longer Mm -hmm. than it needs to. So if you keep Pulling the leader down it can mean that you don't reach the win condition in a reasonable way. I've seen that happen socially, where people are enjoying playing the game. So they don't eliminate someone. And by the game's rules, they probably should. They instead spread, spread the conflict around so that everybody sort of goes down at the same amount. It's per- perhaps a canadianism, but then at that point, at some points for games that happen like that, the game can go on so long that somebody gets frustrated and bored and just wants the game to end, so they sabotage their own gameplay so that they can be eliminated. I've seen that happen a few times, which is a weird sort of anti-pattern, I guess, with mm. game design where, you know, the frustration can result in uh, deliberate uh, deliberate sabotage self sabotage mm.
0: yeah it's interesting to think about it that way too as you explain it so in in thinking about these sort of post post elimination mechanics, it seems like the mechanic can't affect or or shouldn't i you know all things are possible within game design for sure, but it sounds like that whatever this post elimination mechanic is it shouldn't really affect the time frame in which the game structurally mm-hmm. operates right it shouldn't yeah. i think my the when you were talking about playing games long elongate when me and my brothers were younger and we first started getting into magic the gathering we just wanted to see all of our monsters on the battlefield and we would never like attack each other or deal damage to each other or like any of that we just want to see like all 60 cards just out in play and just then one big attack to see who can block what intelligently enough and games like that would last i don't know 45 minutes which is i don't know i don't know if that's like magic's intended time frame at all but i get the feeling that on a competitive level most games are going to last you anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes so like we're really stretching the ball on that one (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's probably about the time frame. Like, I don't play it much, but things seem to ramp up in like game-breaking effectiveness once you get to like seven, seven or eight mana cost on the card. Mm-hmm. So that ostensibly means turn seven or eight, yeah. Um, if you don't have mana accelerators, so in in theory, you have something. Big and nasty around that time frame. And yeah, it doesn't take long to get to seven turn.
0: Yeah, that's that's a very good trend, and that those are very good points to make, especially as I think about my own design. Like even in collaborative tabletop games, like I think one of the things. So. I am not a particularly huge fan of D&D 5e. It's a game. It's fine if other people are playing it. It's just not my cup of tea. And one of the reasons is because I don't enjoy how long combat sort of takes in comparison to... Or, I'm sorry. Maybe not... Maybe the correct phrasing isn't how long, but how slowly the mechanisms of the game is operating based on the number of players you have around at the table. So, like narrative role play and ability checks and things like that can happen off the cuff, snapping around. Like, I investigate this, I perceive that, I want to have the arcane knowledge of that. But when you engage in combat and you start the initiative order, Everything really slows down from that firing off, like back and forth, to like, okay, we have to go in the cyclical order. What are you doing for your attack, your bonus action, your movement? And people have like tried to figure out how to speed that up. Like, there are tons of articles out there about how to speed up combat. And even then, a combat will take no less, depending on parties involved, will take no less than like a half hour to 45 minutes. I don't know that feels just a little long for like an intense combat where like life and death is on the line. I, that's just me. That's like I don't find that proper delineation there. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, I'm in the I'm in the same boat of preference. I find the complexity of crunchier games, mm-hmm. like the, the complexity of their combat is sort of on par with wargaming. Right. Which is which is understandable given the origins of D&D. Like it came mm-hmm. out of grafting story onto war game rules originally so i can see the bones being there that said if i want more gaming mechanics i will play a war game right. spoiler i don't play war games so yeah i'm far more interested in the story aspects and like to me combat serves to add to the story not as a consequence of itself like combat Mm. for combat's sake is not interesting to me using combat as conflict to answer a question that the story might pose who who wins in this physical conflict who doesn't sure Mm -hmm. you can you can decide that using combat mechanics but it doesn't need to be this big strategic or tactical endeavor for that story to be answered or that story's question to be answered and that that's i guess that's why you have different genres of the game the i think the people who are making broad generalizations here the people who like dnd uh in all of its forms uh, 5e included are tend to be people who like systems mm-hmm. and optimizations and that those kinds of interactions with the uncertainty that that complexity offers mm-hmm. uh, and being able to sort of optimize their way through those systems, mm-hmm. which is and it's in itself another game entirely. Right, um, yes. But that's, the consequences of that particular metagame don't aren't particularly interesting to me. And it sounds like not for you either, uh, <laughs> but I, I I understand that it appeals to some people. And great, go for it.
0: Yeah, I'm all about lifting you up if that's what you enjoy to play. It's just when D and D five E was the first game I ever played in tabletop, and one thing that's always stuck through me through life a lot is that you shouldn't really argue about something. Un- or maybe not use is such a strong word, but you shouldn't have a persuasive argument against something unless you know the opposite side, right? Like unless you understand what the opposite side is enjoys or is doing so that your education or i'm sorry your persuasiveness can have less holes in it right and that's not in a conversation of like winning versus losing that's in a conversation of being like look i understand why you like this thing and i'm just elaborating why i don't like it and i have experienced your thing so i totally see why you like it but it's just i need you to understand why i don't like it and i don't want to engage with it right like that that sort of idea of having that mm-hmm. copacetic conversation. And this is for obviously things on a non-moral basis, right? I don't think this right, applies right. to everything, but in our vacuum today, you have to develop your taste by finding out what you do and do not like, and you can only do that after you've engaged with something, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, absolutely. The when when my when my kid was younger, I we never insisted that They eat anything that they did not like. Mm -hmm. However, we did insist that they could not say that they don't like it if they don't try it. Right. But they could literally try one bite, decide they don't like it, and eat something else on their plate. Yeah. And that's – I think that's a fair thing to say. Like you cannot say you don't like something unless you've experienced it. Yeah, or something very similar to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure, I don't like. I don't like strawberries, so it's fair to say I won't like a strawberry shake. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I'm not a fan of D and D, so I'm not going to like D and D Zendikar. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I think yeah. yeah. Hilarious that you bring that up because I actually love the MTG settings. So yeah. Hasbro gets half half of my win. Last one is a TLDR tip. So this is if anyone is doesn't like to listen to the middle portion of the show, which I don't know why not, but if I want to get that scrub time, you can come all the way to the end of the video for this quick tip. So usually what I ask here, Andy, is something, it doesn't have to be in relation to what we've discussed here today but i think i would like to ask a tip from you sort of about what do you think is missing in terms of connecting the digital the electronic the technology to the tabletop pen and paper environment pencil and paper environment like are what sort of like apps are maybe missing out there that you would like to see that, you know, you don't have the time to create or the interest to create, but you think would be cool or resonant with the industry. I think that would be an interesting tip for me. I think this is a selfish tip in my direction, but for anyone who's looking to sort of explore this, I'll say it modern game design.
1: Right. So that's, it's an interesting space that's sort of, it's been explored in a number of different avenues. Mm-hmm. There's, we have, what's it called? d d Next uh, mm-hmm. has sort of gotten the, the giant gorilla in the room, you know, taking their, their books online into a digital space. And you, mm-hmm. you can subscribe to the digital collection of the books. The recently, the, what is it? I forget the name for it, but one bookshelf a company with their oh drive through RPG, yeah. But they they have a thing like you can access their your library on a mobile device now, and oh, it's somewhat limited. But I feel like actually having uh, I don't know if you use like library book reading apps like Libby or OverDrive mm. or something like that, but something like that for the RPG space would be phenomenal. Cuz I have mm. I have gobs and gobs of RPG PDFs mm-hmm. and having something that could give an RPG friendly way to providing access to that kind of uh, rulebook content mm-hmm. that would could support all sorts of different stores so you can get indie RPGs from itch Or from the developers' own websites, or Drive Through RPG, or whatever their DM's Guild, whatever all their different one bookshelves, different uh, sub brands, and or you know the D and D stuff. Like sure, there is DRM stuff that might be an issue, especially with D &D. and D. I think that's why they have their own app; they can keep that content locked down from piracy and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but. That said, I don't know how. Honestly, I don't know how much piracy is an issue in the tabletop game world. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard to gauge because you don't really have interaction tracking with PDFs like you do with video games. Like if you have mm-hmm. a if you have a video game that starts up and it you know uh, it logs into a an account server, you know that there's certain amount of people logging in and if you only have you know if you have say 10 units sold and there's 100 people logging in well something got <laughs> something got pirated yeah um, yeah yeah but you you don't have that kind of tracking with the pdf so i'm not sure exactly how much of an issue it is if it's an issue at all like drive-through puts like your your the purchaser's name on every page of the PDF. So if they share it out then every copy they share it out is going to have their name on it. Mm. I don't know that that feels reasonable to me. You know, if I'm I'm going to be playing a campaign with like a bunch of other people, they don't necessarily all need to buy the book. Mm -hmm. If I'm the GM and I'm like, okay, I've got the book while we're playing the game, you can use mine. That's mm-hmm. reasonable if even with a paper version. It's like while we're, you know, playing the campaign, borrow my player's handbook, or whatever. And digital equivalent of that would be really nice. The interesting thing about that is that there's kind of two ways to interact with uh, game rule books. You can just straight out read them. Um cover to cover for, like, broad strokes and, you know, content, like setting content and that, that kinds of experiences. Or you can use that as a reference document during play. Some books are better one way and better another. And having having in a digital library, game library app that understands that Modality that dual modality between a reference document during play and an entertainment document outside of play would, mm-hmm. I think, be phenomenal. And that's not something I, I have seen. Mm-hmm. Like, all I've really seen is here's a PDF viewer, have yeah. fun. It's like, okay. <laughs>
0: Do you think that, as you talk about it, do you think that has to be something that is a retroactively fitting app? Or do you feel like that's a design, like, me and uh, a friend of mine have talked about what if our game was like a wiki? Like, I have experienced a couple PDFs that have, like, hyperlinks inside of them. And it's able to, like, float me around the book quickly because it sort of understands if I'm looking at this rule, I'm probably going to need to look at another rule, like in the concept of the reference document, right? And do you think that's something that designers who want to sort of like dabble in this electronic space should consider when they're designing their games, like PDF as wiki or e-reader document as a a wiki sort of hyperlinked object?
1: Yes, I think that's a a way of creating a product that serves both modes simultaneously. I guess what I was trying to get at, it was being able to have an app that could, like the app itself could serve those two modalities. Mm-hmm. So providing potentially different content during different forms of, pl- mm-hmm. forms of consuming the content. So for example, I'm playing soft. I'm playing South, and if I'm, or I'm looking at the South rule, if I'm just reading it, I'm just getting like back to front, all the different stuff. When I'm playing it, I'm served like the different, there's different rules for different events that happen on a timeline in the game. So if I'm like on different timelines in the game, it would take me two different sections of the rule book. So if they're in soft, there's like it's, a, it's on a sort of like a day mechanic. If you're on the first day, the first ritual, you have to do a certain number of things. So stuff is relevant to the first third of the book. So you go into the first third of the book and that's what you get provided. And then as the timeline goes, you go into the next phase and that data becomes more relevant. And then you pull in additional supplements like the Necronomicon thing. Mm-hmm. Which is a handout that players get, and then you might provide that as a reference document. But if you're in person, then that that becomes easier because you can literally hand them a piece of paper. But if you're playing the game remotely, then that becomes a little more interesting. Like the players could have the player view, and they they're given certain amount of information that gets revealed as you play. Which would be I can see that being good for mystery games. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, now 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 you get access to what happens after Cthulhu wakes up. Now, Nothing happens.
0: Now, you know what I mean? Now you're
1: a cultist, and you <laughs> have insight into the vast unknown, or whatever.
0: <laughs> Your head literally explodes.
1: Yeah, and this is what's inside.
0: Yeah, I think that something or something in design or book, like an application that could allow you to sort of retroactively put those pieces together. Cause obviously the, the D and D four E is not going to be rewritten, right? Like they're not going to recontextualize right. it for a digital landscape, but it'd be cool as you're saying, like for an if app somebody, to be able yeah.
1: but to let you sort feed of that, that PDF into it and then break up the sections. Like, yes. Okay, if, if you're, if you're, if you are a, a thief, you might only care about the section that pertains to a thief and then if you're high enough level also the wizard spells or whatever however that goes, i forget but, okay. <laughs> i i i think i recall like a high level thief gets access to some kind of magic somewhere <laughs> i don't
0: know uh, I just started reading <laughs> it for the first time the other day, so I can't answer that question. No, <laughs> I think I think something like that could be cool for the space, for sure, as sort of like a, a general catch-all that allows you to sort of manipulate those files into what you need for your play experience, right? Sort of this modularity yeah. experience. Yes. Amazing. Great. I think that's a perfect perfect tip to examine. With that... Andy, we have come to the end of the show. Right. Uh, I want to thank you for being here today. Absolutely. And it
1: was wonderful. Aw, thank you.
0: And in addition, why don't you sort of like replug yourself, give all the links and things uh, just to make sure people come and give you those dollars. Cause that's what I want. All these links that Andy uh, has shared with us and will be sharing. I will have in the show notes for your access as always listeners.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. So you can find my tabletop games at burdandy.com, which mostly just links to burdandy.h.io to interact with me socially. Twitter is probably the best place. At Andy Burdan. That's yeah. That's mostly it. If you want to see my video game stuff, you can also find me at burdan.ca. I got a lot of crap up there. Yeah. I think that's probably pretty good. Great. Oh, Mike. Uh, Mike Drop itself is at mikedropgame.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which just uh, re- redirects to something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: perfect great well then with that everyone thank you for coming today it's a pleasure to have you listen along i certainly enjoyed listening to andy and i hope you did too and we will catch you next time say bye to the people andy
1: bye bye thanks everyone
0: All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and hang out with Andy and I. We really appreciate it. You can find links and resources down below in the show notes, such as getting in touch with Andy or other episodes with similar topics. If you want to be a part of the conversation, please come and join the community Discord server. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Draw Your Dice Patreon where you can get access to early releases of episodes from as soon as we interview. Thanks again for stopping by. And as always, I will catch you next time.